of or the first Sunday in the month of February, we are going to have a very special service, and it's a service that we do once a year, and it's set aside as our Bible quiz bowl. Do we have anybody in here who is studying for a Bible quiz bowl? I knew we had several who had signed up for that. And anyone in the church is welcome to join and to compete in the Bible Quiz Bowl. And though it is a competition, the real aim uh, for this is truly to immerse ourselves in the Word of God. And uh, this year, our Bible Quiz Bowl is focused on two different books, the book of Galatians and the book of Ephesians. And so over these next few weeks on Sunday mornings here in this adult Bible class, We are going to be studying this book of Galatians, but uh, let me also just tell you that it's not only due to the fact that we have a Bible quiz bowl that is covering this book, but also I just feel strongly that here at the outset of this new year, the book of Galatians has many keen insights that can help strengthen our walk with God as we renew our consecration in Him and as we... Uh, as we look at our journey uh, with Christ Jesus, this book can speak to us as we look at these new commitments that we make here at the beginning of the year. And so, just to give you a little context here today, this book of Galatians, it was written by the Apostle Paul. And the Apostle Paul, of course, this uh, this man who uh, uh, greatly used by God, he wrote the majority of the books of the New Testament. Uh, he himself, being an apostle, means that he was not a pastor over uh, one particular local church. But rather, he was more so what we might call today a church planter. He was one who would go out and he would set out to different areas outside of Israel. And he felt that he was called by God for that very purpose, to reach the, the non-Jewish people, the Gentiles, with the gospel. And that's what he did. Uh, uh, Paul, he was, he was very, uh, very good at uh, accomplishing what God had purposed in him to do. And he became an apostle, the greatest uh, Christian of that day. And, uh, and, and, and a, a, an example for us to look to. But... He's the one who's went all across what is uh, mostly today modern-day Turkey and the coastal areas in that region and uh, what is northwest of Israel and set out into that region and started one church after another, planted them, and then he would stay there long enough to raise up a pastor and raise up a leadership team that would be able to sustain that church, and then he would move on. And in order to communicate, in order to maintain that communication um, with the churches that he had started, he would write these letters. And that's what we have this book of Galatians for. This is a letter that was written to the church that he had established in Galatia, a region. This wasn't a city, but rather it was a region. And uh, he is writing this letter back in correspondence with this uh, this people, uh, or this church that had been established there in Galatia. And uh, this is, you'll, you'll see other letters like this. Uh, uh, Corinthians would be a letter written to the church that was established in the city of Corinth, or Philippians 
to the city in Philippi or Colossians to the church in Colossae. So this is, this is what these books are all about. You see, I see other ones that have a person's name attached to them. And if Paul was the writer of those, you have some, their name is attached to it because Peter wrote the book or John wrote the book. But others, uh, such as Timothy, Paul was writing it to Timothy, who was the pastor of the church in Ephesus. And so this is, just want to try to give you a little context of this book today. And all that said, I just, I just want to let you know that when you read these little books, it gives those people the same thing that we need today, which is solid doctrine and solid teaching on how to live the Christian life. And the book of Galatians is just incredible because in the area of Galatia, right in the heart of what is now modern day Turkey, Paul, he planted this church, but right after, it seems as though right after he left, that some of the people in the church who were formerly Jews and now had become Christians, they came in behind Paul and they started telling these new Christians that they were not quite doing it right. That what Paul had instructed them, the way that Paul had instructed them, the doctrine that Paul had established as sound doctrine in the church when he was there, that they came in behind him and said, no, there's actually some other stuff that we need to do. There's some things that you guys, you know, you aren't doing it quite right. And so I just want to get started right here at the beginning in Galatians chapter 1, verse 1, if you have that in your Bibles or else you can look up here to the screen today. Galatians 1, verse 1, it says, Paul, an apostle... Not of men, neither by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brethren which are with me unto the churches of Galatia. And so he's traveling here with a group of people, and he's sending greetings from them. He says, Grace be to you and peace from God the Father and our, from our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our, uh, for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil world according to the will of God and our father to whom be glory forever and ever amen and so this is his greeting this is just him opening up his letter the salutations to them but let's look particularly here at verse six where he says I marvel says I marvel in other words I'm I'm astonished right now it's hard for me to fathom this that you are so soon removed. He actually has a little attitude here, it seems. And you can actually see that a little bit in, in some other places in this letter that he's writing. That he is a little disturbed. He's, he's saying, I, I, he's a little mad. And, and he's, he says, I marvel that you're so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ. He says, I'm really surprised that with the teaching that I gave you when I was with you and the freedom that you have found, that you have gone right back and you are turning again to this, this bondage, this thing that is not the freedom that you had in Christ Jesus. And, and you see here this really key phrase for us today. He says, I guess I'll start again. It says, I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel. 
that you have started to believe another gospel. And some of you might be thinking, I didn't know that there was another gospel. But there absolutely is. There are literally two different approaches that you can have to God. There are two gospels, two ways that you can approach God. And and he says here to the Galatians that they had turned to a different gospel. That they were trying to now approach God in a different way than he had first uh, taught them to approach God and to to understand how God was uh, was approaching them and and he says here about the gospel that they had turned to he said which is not another this other gospel that you're turning to it's not another this is not a gospel at all in other words this isn't the right way to do it but there be some that trouble you and they would pervert the gospel of Christ and so Paul here he's really fed up because these Jewish Christians came in behind him and they, uh, and literally what they did, this is, this is, uh, what they did was they tried to bring some of their old traditions, their old ways, their Jewish customs, and to put that upon these Gentile Christians. Part of their Jewish custom was that they had to be circumcised and for these Jewish, uh, these, these formerly Jewish, uh, men who were there in that church who had converted to Christianity or following Jesus Christ, they came in behind Paul and they're trying to teach the Gentiles and telling them, you guys, in order to be belong to the church, you guys also must be circumcised. And I know this is kind of shocking and, and, and embarrassing to, uh, to to think about, but here he is. He's, he's talking to these Gentile Christians and, and they're telling them, uh, you need to be just like us. And I know that we did this when we were just eight days old, but now you, at whatever age you are, you also need to do this in order to be part of the church. And I can imagine, you probably can as well, that this was probably a pretty shocking meeting for these Gentile Christians. And I don't, I don't know if you read humor into the Bible at all, but I think there's some things that are kind of humorous when you think about them. And, and this is even in Acts chapter 15, the same topic, it comes up among the elders of the church in Jerusalem and the church leaders, they're debating whether or not they should include in their membership class for the church, whether or not this surgery ought to take place. And which I think likely would have caused um, those membership classes to be full of a whole bunch of women with the guys kind of standing outside and being like, yeah, you, you can join the church, not me. They're literally having this debate and that what they were doing was the same thing that a lot of us tend to do, which is once we find this grace, this free gift from God, we have this tendency to go right back into a religion kind of relationship with God or this, this religious type of gospel instead of a grace centered gospel. And that's the discussion that Paul is, is trying to have with them is he's saying, you guys are getting away from the grace by which you were saved and you're trying to turn back to a religion type of gospel that's all about rules and these, and, and, and instead of relationship. And that's, and, and he's saying this here, especially what he wrapped up in verse seven. He said, evidently some people are coming in behind me and they're throwing you into confusion and they're trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. 
And this is what I want to talk about today. And the, the reason is that most of us here today, most uh, in this room, as I look around, I, I see we are, uh, you have an established journey with Christ. You identify as a Christian. You might even identify as, as an apostolic. But it's human nature for us at times to want to go back to a place where it's not about what Jesus has done for us, but rather what we can do for ourselves. And, and we can turn even the freest expression of God's grace and his goodness in the gospel into something that becomes dead religion. Now here it said fairly often around here that, that so-and-so, that they're glad to not be part of a dead church. And so am I. I am, I am so glad that I'm not part of a dead church. I'm glad that it's lively around here. And I, I mean, it ought to be lively around here, right? In fact, it's, it's on the sign, uh, right out in front of, right along, out along the road. It says new life. There better be some life in here if we're advertising that kind of a name, right? But here's the thing. Our liveliness can't simply be defined by the music that we play, the songs that we sing, the worship that we have. It can't even be defined by how loud the preacher gets from the platform or how loud the audience shouts amen. That can't be what defines our liveliness. The church ought to be alive because it is committed to a relationship with an everlasting, ever-living God. And if we're not committed to that, then we're in danger of being a dead church. And you say, well, of course I'm committed to a relationship with God. But let me ask you this, a couple of questions. Are you more comfortable saying that you belong to this church or that you belong to God? Well, this question. If someone asks you why you do such and such, do you say, well, that's because that's what my church does or that's what my pastor says to do? Or are you confident enough to say that, well, God spoke to me about this and I see it in his word to instruct me to live that way. And because of my relationship with him, I honor him by doing this. See, my goal right now is not to get you to question your commitments and your convictions. My goal is to help you to understand that while the church is important, and I believe that scripture is clear about the necessity of your involvement in the, with the church, that first and foremost, it has to be about your relationship and your commitment to Jesus Christ. That's what must come first. Don't simply join a church, join Jesus. Come into relationship with God. Come into relationship with Him. Your Christianity isn't determined by the fact that you chose the right church. And now I think this is a good church. And we do our very best to present the gospel in such a way that you can understand that there are certain things that Jesus would require of us in order to obtain salvation. And, and there is liberty in Jesus Christ. And there is freedom in Him. And the very first thing out of all that, that uh, you would be able to recognize that you can't, would be that you can't do this on your own accord to make it to heaven. And neither can anyone else. 
Your mom can't get you to heaven. I can't get you to heaven. Only Jesus can get you to heaven, and that is by his grace. See, we are saved by his grace. You're never going to be good enough to make it to heaven. You're never going to be good enough to earn your way to heaven. It is only by the grace of God that you one day will be able to walk through those pearly gates. It's not because I earned it. My righteousness is as filthy rags before him. It's because he paid the price for my sins. And he extended his grace toward me so that I might have everlasting life. Ephesians chapter 2 talks about this this grace that's been extended to us. It says in verse 1 that you hath he quickened and you were dead in trespasses and sins wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also you had, or we all had our conversation in times past in the lust of the flesh. We were fulfilling the desires of the flesh and the things of the mind and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God, but God, who is rich in mercy, and he has great love wherewith he loved us. Even when we were dead in sins, he has quickened us together with Christ, because by grace ye are saved. And he has raised us up together and made us to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. So it starts with God's grace. His grace is extended to you, but on your end, there is another word that could define, relate, or define salvation. Perhaps better than any word on our end, what would, what would define salvation is the word surrender. It's saying that no longer am I going to live my life according to my own rules, but I am going to live according to God's purpose. According to God's rules. Romans 10 verse 9 says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God has raised him from the dead, then thou shalt be saved. If you can turn over the reins of your life and surrender to him, then you can be saved. See, elsewhere in the book of Mark, Jesus, he, he says, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. But whoever does not believe will be condemned. So salvation, it comes through more than just believing. Because if you believe, then you believe all the words of God. But it, it also, it comes through surrender. And you surrender what you care about. And you let Jesus change it into whatever he cares about. That's what salvation is all about. That's what being a disciple is all about. Is saying, God, there are things that I care about, but they don't align with what you care about. So I'm going to surrender what I care about to align more perfectly with what you care about so that I can be kingdom-minded and I can pursue what you are asking me to pursue. So I say all of this to explain that there are two possible gospels. There's one gospel that is based on the grace in the freedom of Jesus Christ. And then there's another gospel 
that is based on whatever you are able to do to earn your salvation, which is then forever connected to and justified by your own actions more so than the act that Jesus did for you up on the cross. And that's why I'm teaching today from this beautiful book of Galatians that speaks on living in the freedom of Jesus Christ every single day. And so we have this very key question uh, that, that we should ask because really this is, uh, this is the question that, that they were trying to answer for themselves even in this book. And we see it's the same question throughout the Bible. And that key question is, how am I going to become godly? In other words, what is my approach going to be in getting to God and serving God? How am I going to do that? How am I going to be transformed into the person that God wants me to be? How am I going to become holy like he is holy? How am I going to become godly? How will I consecrate myself? And by the way, this this question is a similar question that nearly every religion of the world asks. Mankind, in, in, in nearly every religion of the world, you would see that they would say that mankind is corrupt in some way. And so there is this instruction and this teaching that you need to follow in order to get to whatever that God is of their religion. And Christianity, it's no different in the fact that you have a corrupt man that must become uh, must must become a uh, more like God. There's instruction, but the trouble is, most people choose the pathway like all of the other religions, which is not the right pathway. Even in Christianity, it can be messed up and it can be perverted. And honestly, we can become just like the Galatian church where we try to do it according to our goodness and our acts. And we try to just follow the letter of the law without first starting with relationship. And understanding that everything else comes out of relationship with God. Everything else comes out of the fact that he died for us while we were yet in our sins. And because of that, now I have been transformed and there is change that happens in me and I become godly in that manner. But it started first of all with love. It started first of all with his love and then my love to him, which is reciprocated because he first loved me and I love him. But this question is here. How do you become godly? And this idea, it's so foundational that it's literally in the very first story of the Bible once man is created. And it's also in the very last chapter of the Bible. It's literally cover to cover. And it's how foundational this question is. And so I want to go there to that first story in Genesis chapter 2. I'm going to begin in verse 8. Says that the Lord God, he planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground, he made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food, the tree of life also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. So in the middle of the garden, God, he placed a choice. That's what he did. But I want to clear something up here this morning because most of us, when you think about the Garden of Eden story, and if you grew up in Sunday school or if you have one of those children's books, you, you open it up and you see, uh, you see Eve, first of all, with her long hair because she needs it to cover up those parts that you don't want to see in the children's book. And you have her with that little apple that has a little bite out of it. And it, 
you know, the Bible doesn't even say that it's an apple. But most people, you know, they, uh, they say, yeah, that's, that's that point right there is where Adam and Eve just chose to walk away from God and be in sin. But that is not true at all. They actually had a different choice in front of them. And it's actually way more deadly. And that choice, it leads to sin, but it wasn't originally rooted in sin. In the middle of the garden, it says, was the tree of life. And watch this. It says, the tree of knowledge of good. Okay, so this was the knowledge of good. It was the knowledge of good and evil. This was a knowledge base. It was a worldview. It was, what is my approach going to be? How am I going to become godly? You basically have a choice. You can do it through the tree of life, or you can do it through this other tree. And watch what God said in verse 16. If you skip down to verse 16, it says that the Lord God, he commanded the man saying of every tree of the garden, thou mayest freely eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest, thereof thou shalt surely die. God said, it will kill you. It will make you, if, if, we, if we continue to look at this principle, by choosing, that, by, by, by choosing that, it will make you reject Christianity altogether. It's going to uh, put you in a religious tailspin that will destroy your life. When you choose to live according to the worldview of humanism and, and what my knowledge can do in order to get me closer to God. It will destroy you. It will destroy your marriage. It will destroy your emotions. It will destroy everything. It's that critical. And obviously, God, he wants us to have this right relationship with him. And the devil doesn't want us to have a right relationship with God. And so, insert the devil into chapter 3. I'm going to read this first couple of verses here. In chapter 3, it says, The serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to, unto the woman, Yea, hath God said. Okay? He said, come on. Just think about this. This is the same thing, really, that the Jewish Christians were saying to the church in Galatia. Does it, you know, do you really, are you really a, a true Christian if you haven't been circumcised? If you're, are you really a true Christian if you haven't gone this, down this path of religiosity and what our old ways were and, and, and these things that you would do of your own accord? And he says here, does it really say, has God really said that you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden, God said, you shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Just watch what the devil says next. Verse 4. The serpent said to the woman, you shall not surely die. He says, ah, that's not true. That's not the right way. You heard it wrong. You're not really going to die. For God does know that in the day that you eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened and you will be as God's. I want to point out to you here that the devil did not appeal to Eve's desire to be rebellious or to be sinful. He appealed to her desire to be godly. He said, come my way and I'll show you how to be godly. 
Come my way and I'll show you how to be very godly. And, and I want you to see that because most people think that the devil was tempting Eve to do bad things. But really, he was saying to her, there's a better way. Which, yes, in itself is sin because it was disobedient to God. But he was tempting her by saying, there's another way to become godly. There's another way for you to pursue God. And, and I want you to do it by having your knowledge of good and evil opened up to you. So he says, you will actually be like God. There's, there's this word again, knowing good and evil. And now, by eating of this fruit, you will have a worldview, a worldview that's, that's different. You'll have this idea where literally you control, you can control your own godliness. It's better. And so she then ate of that tree. She brought it then to Adam. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and she did eat. And she gave also to her husband with her, and he did eat. Now, in the very next verse, you see uh, what happens here, because when you make a wrong choice, this is what happens every single time. Verse 7, that the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. In fact, later on in this story, God, he, he spoke to them, and he says, who told you that you were naked? Who, who told you that you were in that condition? Because you were never supposed to know that. You were never supposed to feel the shame. You were never supposed to have your innocence lost. Because, because every time that we make the wrong gospel choice, it always produces this loss of innocence and, the lo- and, and it causes shame. When we try to do it according to our own works, when we try to do it by earning God's grace, we come to a place of shame every single time. And so it says that they sewed fig leaves together. They made themselves aprons. Now this basic foundational story is critical for us to know today because, and I, I know this is, you know, it can, it can get kind of um, maybe tough to understand some of this here, but the, the choice really here is between a right gospel or a white, right way of approaching God and a wrong way of approaching God. So let's look at the difference between these two Gospels. One of these Gospels focuses on what you do. In fact, it's all about you. You're constantly thinking about what you do. And let me just give you an example of this. Perhaps you grab your Bible and you read your Bible and that's good. But instead of thinking about what you just read, you are thinking about how many chapters you've just read. You know, you used to read five chapters a day, and now you're reading eight chapters a day. And those people who just read one chapter a day, man, they're, you know, they just have a long ways to go, right? And so you start thinking about what you do or don't do. But that can't be the focus. It's not about what you do or what you don't do. The focus should be on what Jesus has already done. And so we're not thinking about how long did I pray or how many chapters did I read. Instead, it should be about when I get into the word, God, I just want to know you. 
However, however many chapters I need to read until I see you revealed, God, I'm going to stay in the word until I see you revealed in the words that I'm reading. I want to pray every morning, but it's not about making sure that I get 10 minutes of prayer in to start my day. It's about getting into your presence. It's about having relationship with you. It's not about just, just checking it off and saying, yeah, I did my duty. It's what I've done. This is what I've done. I'm, I'm, I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. No, it's about relationship with God. That ought to be the focus every single time. You're focusing on what he did for you rather than what you are doing. That shouldn't be the focus. The focus should be on Jesus Christ. Let me say it this way. When you're reading your Bible, don't think about how much of it you've read. You're trying to just say, Jesus, I want to know you. I want to know you. God, where are you? Where are you in this scripture? And just keep on reading until you find him in the scripture. I want to see, see Jesus. He, he spoke on this topic itself. John chapter five, verse 39 and 40. Jesus, he said, you search the scriptures because you think they give you eternal life. In other words, you think that you are so smart in the scriptures and that smartness is going to give you eternal life. But that's not true. Because Jesus says that the scriptures, they point to me. You weren't supposed to read it a bunch and memorize it a bunch. Not that committing scripture to heart is wrong. In fact, that's exactly what we are in the middle of right now. But it's not about just committing a bunch of scripture to memory. It's about allowing the scripture to transform us to become more like him. It's about reading the word of God and diving into the word of God as we are going to do as we enter into 21 days of prayer and fasting and in this time of consecration that we're starting this week as a church. It's not, we're not doing that because I have to do it and I want to check off all these scriptures that I'm reading. No, it's about I want to become more like you. Verse 40, Jesus, he says, yet you refuse to come to me to receive this life. See, this word life, it just keeps coming up in the Bible. Okay, I want to give another explanation of the difference between these two Gospels. One Gospel, it focuses on getting God's approval. Because inherently, you believe that God is mad at you. And you're always trying to get God's approval. It's almost like he's the Wizard of Oz. And if you've ever seen the Wizard of Oz, you see Dorothy and and she, she comes to the wizard and she's trying to get her, her wish granted. And, and, but the, the wizard is mad at her and she hasn't even met him yet. And he's mad at her already. And he's saying, what do you want? She said, I just want to go home. Well, then go get a broom. You know, prove your worth before I can grant you anything. And we have that same approach to God at times when we follow after the wrong gospel. We have this view that we're, we're saying, or that God is saying, what do you want? Well, I just want to go to heaven. I, I don't want to burn. Okay, then memorize the book of Proverbs. You know, you're out here and you're trying to, to get God's approval, to earn God's approval. And can I just tell you that that's a whole nother gospel that you're believing if that is what you believe about God. Because you don't need God's approval. You know Why? Because God already loves you. 
You ought to focus on the fact that God already loves you. His love for you, his immense love for you already exists. In fact, God, he knows your sinful ways and he still likes you. Now, he doesn't want you to stay that way. He doesn't like what you did. Please don't confuse the fact that even though he loves you, that he that means that he likes sin because he doesn't. But when you understand that it that the fact that Jesus he loves you that God loves you even in your sin it changes the way it ought to change everything about the way that you relate to him See your view of God will determine your relationship with God How you see him will determine how you interact with him And if you think that God is always upset is upset with you then this is how it's going to likely play out, that, that you're going to be in church, but you, you did a few bad things this week that you shouldn't have, and now all of a sudden you come into church, and there's some songs that are being sung, and you're like, I better not clap my hands. I better not sing very loud, because God's going to see me as a hypocrite. He's angry at me right now, because I messed up. And everything in your heart is drawing away from God, because you made a few mistakes. Instead, God is saying, right now you're in my presence. I want you to draw closer to me. I want you to come closer to me. And I love you even in your sin. And I want to bring you out of that bondage. So you, you, sometimes we'll talk ourselves out of getting into the presence of God because we think that he's mad at us in some ways. But Romans chapter 5 says it this way. It says that God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't wait for you to change in order to love you. He loved you so that you could change. So you don't get your act together in order to get God. You get God so that you can get your act together. And he wants you to come close to him. He wants you, he wants to show you that he loves you and that instead of you shrinking back in your corner thinking that he's mad at you, I'm just going to tell you that if you understand that God loves you, it will change everything. That God's love for you, it goes beyond anything that you've done wrong. And when you understand that, it will change everything. I've got to wrap this up. Now I want to talk about this last focus here, the these difference of the Gospels. One focus, one of these Gospels focuses on an external duty. That we do it, we pray this much, that you give that much, you know, and if you don't do this, you know, this way, then, uh, you know, it's all about us. It's all about the things that we do when instead the right gospel is about an internal desire. That it's the joy of my life. That I don't approach God because I have to. I approach God because I get to. First hmm. John 5, 3. It says, for this is the love of God. Let me say it this way because it's translated differently in other translations. It says, this is how you love God. That we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not grievous. You say, oh, yes, they are. Well, if you're not in love, if you're not in love, then his commandments, they are burdensome. But if you're not in love with God, then the then living according to the Bible is going to be the hardest thing that you've ever done in your life. But if you are in love with God, then it is going to be the greatest joy of your life to do what is written here. That everything, doing this, loving God, it, it changes everything about your approach to Him. It's not a pain when you do it out of your love for Jesus. So let's just wrap this up here this morning, but just... 
speaking just really quickly, I'm just going to go over these last three points on the back on how to live by the right gospel. The first thing that you ought to do is to fall in love with Jesus Christ. Fall in love with him. You say, I don't know how to do that. I don't know how to just fall in love with God. Well, when you truly know that God came and he robed himself in flesh and he died for your sins and you know him, that he loves you, then his love first came to us. It becomes easy for us to just love him back. It says, if you love me, keep my commandments. Don't get that twisted. He's not saying, you need to keep my commandments. He's just, just, this God that's just, just forcing that upon us. No, he says, if you love me, it's just going to come naturally that you will keep my commandments. It's going to come out of that. See, see the order of that. If you love me, you will follow my commandments. You will follow my word. You will love to do it because you love me. Next, don't allow condemnation. There is therefore now no condemnation of them which are in Christ Jesus. Don't allow the devil to beat you up and to tell you that you have now become separated from God too far that you can't get back, back to him. Don't believe that lie. Live by the right gospel. It's not about me earning my salvation. It's about God loving me enough and extending his grace to me. And it's not, you know, as Paul would say, God forbid that I would continue in sin. It's not about that. But understand that God loves you. And the last thing, I'll finish with this. Deuteronomy 30, 19 says, today I have given you the choice between life and death. There is a choice that we make every single day. I've given you this choice between life and death, between blessings and cursings. And now I call on heaven and earth to witness the choice that you make. Oh, that you would choose life so that that you and your descendants might live. Choose life. Choose life. It's a choice that you make every single day. How are you going to live? Are you going to live according to a gospel that is all about you earning and trying to make sure that you do everything right? Or is it just by saying, God, I love you. I don't understand why you would love me back. I don't understand it. I don't understand why you would love a messed up person like me. But your word says that you do. In fact, your word says that God is love. And God, I just want to walk in that love and walk in that grace. And understand that I don't earn my salvation, but God, you died so that I might be saved. If you could believe that here today, would you just lift up a hand? And we're closing this out here today. We're going to have our kids are going to come in. They're going to lead us in a time of worship here in just a minute. But if every head could just be bowed for a moment, every eye closed. Some of you here today, you're here and you've been living according to that other gospel. Some of you have been living for God for a long time and, and you reverted back to a way where you feel shame and you feel this loss of innocence because you feel as if it is something that you have to earn God's love and God's grace. But can I just invite you right now to this other understanding that God loves you right now. He cares about you. This, this original gospel that was handed down to the church. That the only, this is the only gospel that was supposed to exist. The one that came from Jesus Christ. And he, it's about relationship rather than religion. He says it, it shouldn't be about religion. It should be about relationship. See, some of you are here right now. Some of you here right now have been in a real relationship with Jesus. And if that's you, amen, I just want to invite you right now just to have that hand lifted up and say, God, I love you. And if that's not you right now, then I want you to lift up that hand and say, God, 
I want to understand your love for me. God, I want to understand how, that, that I'm not here to earn your love, to earn your grace. Your grace is given to me already. God, I, I want to dive into prayer. I want to dive into the scripture and just see you reveal. God, I don't want to do it about checking for, for checking off a box. God, I want to do it because I want to know who you are. And I want to become more like you. Amen.